Hello and welcome to the Craft and Cluster podcast, a show all about marketing your wine brand in the digital age. I'm your host, Heather Danitz, a photographer and social media consultant based in Santa Barbara wine country. I help wineries tell the true story of how they get their wine from grape to glass using exciting visuals and social media marketing that works. You've heard me mention often my deep, unrestrained love for building a story brand, the marketing framework by Donald Miller, but we've never gone deep into it before until now. Today, I've invited my awesome story brand guide, Christy Kern, onto the podcast to walk us through the seven-part framework that makes marketing easy. It's always awesome to talk with someone who is a marketing expert, but who's also not involved in the wine industry, to get a fresh perspective on how we can do some things better. Christy has some really valuable insights and practical and actionable tips to help make marketing your wine easy. Let's get into it. Hey, Christy, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Uh, You were my coach during a story brand workshop, and I got so much value out of that. I had to have you on the podcast because I feel like I talk about story brand all the time. And I, yeah, I'm like, just like, it's like, like an embarrassing amount of times I talk about story brand and how much I love Donald <laughs> Miller. <laughs> and, and so, but, it, but what's so funny is that I don't, I feel like I don't ever do it justice. It's always in the context of whatever specific conversation I'm having that day. And, and so I haven't ever really gone through the entire framework with my audience. And so and I felt like I couldn't do it justice. So bringing on an actual story brand guide to talk about this process and talk about this framework, it I just think is a great idea. So <laughs> if I do say so myself. So thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk with you about this today. <laughs> oh, it's my pleasure. I love talking about this framework because I just have found it to be so helpful for anybody who uses it. So I'm never upset when someone asks if they if they want to talk about this a little bit more. Yes. (laughs) I love it. Well, before we get into it, could you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Who are you? What do you do? And then most importantly, why do you do it? These are big questions for the morning. I I run a consulting and coaching business called the On Purpose Project. And I work with who I call kind of visionary, passionate leaders who have big visions, I guess is where I come up with that term of visionary, that they want to achieve in the world. And that looks so different for people, right? It's not just about being Mother Teresa, but it's running small business as well. It's being involved in their communities. It's advocating for political change, whatever those things are that they just really, they get them out of bed in the morning. And I think the two main challenges that I see that a lot of folks face is one, communication. The more passionate we are, the harder it can be to communicate clearly about the things that we're passionate about, right? Yes, 100%. (laughs) So I feel like that's kind of one of the biggest pieces. Parallel, tangentially to that is the fact that when we are passionate about the thing that we're trying to do in the world, it's really easy to burn out. But I would even say kind of within that is to lose joy in what we do because we, and you and I were talking about this in terms of finding like social media platforms that feel just for us and that there's joy in the work we do. I think that 
sometimes when you get up every day trying to advocate for change or build something you care about, it can turn into something that feels joyless. And so a lot of the work that I do is just helping folks tap back into the joy of the work that they do. So to communicate well about that, you know, internally to teams, externally to constituents or shareholders or clients, but then also to really understand what am I out there doing? How do I rediscover the joy in my work and what I'm, you know, gifted at or have strengths towards or those sorts of things. So I love that. Long-winded answer. <laughs> no, I love it. That's a great answer. And yeah, it's it's really I, – I love how you say that too because I think, you know, the listeners of this podcast are largely winery owners. And I think sometimes, especially in, you know, towards the end of harvest when we're all ragged and raw from the, from the last three months of, you know, just like early early mornings, late nights and stressful work, it's it's difficult to remember why we got into this business in the first place. Of course, that disappears immediately, you know, because these people are passionate about what they do. But yeah, it is really, really just trying to find what keeps you lit up. And, and that's really the most important thing. So I love that answer. So, yeah. So, I mean, as I, as I mentioned earlier, you know, you were my story brand coach during the workshop, which by the way, it was like the best money spent I've like ever. Yeah. I've, I've already made it back at least five times over, if not more. And I, it's, yeah, it, I'm just psyched about it. If I could do it all over again, I would just to like be there and experience it. But anyways, but what I've never asked you about is how did you first get involved with StoryBrand? Like how how did that start for you? I was working for another um, business and marketing consultancy. I was working as a coach for some of their programs. And my boss at the time interviewed Donald Miller on his podcast. And it was really in the early days of StoryBrand. And they had just released an online course. In fact, that might have been all that they had at the time was kind of this class that you could take online. And the company that I worked for, the first Tuesday of every month, we had learning days. And so they had a budget. They would pay for classes, courses, books, anything that helped us become better at our jobs. And so after hearing this interview, I was like, hey, can that be my next learning day class? Can I go through this course? And I did. I went through it. I loved it. It made so much sense to me. And so I actually reached out to StoryBrand at the time. And I was like, are you guys hiring? (laughs) This is awesome. And they wrote back and said, like, no, you know, we don't, we're we're not have like hiring coaches because that's what I did. And, you know, thanks for your interest, et cetera. And I I think at the time, this was probably like four plus years ago, there was only a couple of people who even worked at StoryBrand back then. Maybe a year and a half later, I got a phone call out of the blue from a StoryBrand team member who was like, hey, I have your name on a post-it note as somebody who is interested in using our framework for their clients or coaching this material. I was like, what? I mean, like, talk about (laughs) like, how on earth? So they launched what they call the Certified Guide Program now. They launched that. My timeline's going to be off. I want to say four years ago three or four years ago. Um, and I went through their inaugural class and learned how to use the framework, got certified in that, used it on behalf of my own clients. I was still working part-time coaching for this company out of Montreal, and I was coaching my own clients. So I used the framework 
um, with all my own folks for a while and then eventually came on board with Story Brand as an outside consultant to start teaching the framework on their behalf. So coaching at their big events. And now I also work as a trainer for private workshops. So when companies call in and say, hey, we would like somebody to come out to us, essentially, which now is either in person or virtual, as things start to open back up, there will, there's a couple of us who get dispatched to go on site or, or to hold a team training. So I, you know, even in that, it's so fun, because as much as I love the framework, and we're going to talk about, you know, what it is and what it can do for folks, it's really fun to see teams come together. If you have a small team for them to all get to speak into the process to sit around a table virtual or in person together and really get to, you know, craft and shape a message as a team is a pretty cool thing to witness. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I wish there was a way for me to put all of my clients through this workshop or at least put put them through like an online course for it so that when I come to them and start helping them, they already have like a base of knowledge. And so hopefully this will this will at least kind of give this episode will give everyone and including my my clients, I'll make them listen to it. <laughs> I feel like you have to listen to this. A, a base knowledge of this framework so that so that I can help them better because it's like, again, I can only explain it so much as I'm, since I'm not a certified guide myself, that's, that's hopefully on the horizon for me. I'll hopefully get, go through that program as well. Cause I, I love it as well, but yeah, hopefully they'll have a, a better idea of this framework so that when they're creating their own marketing materials with or without my help or without the help of um, another marketer, they'll be able to just be so much more successful. I mean, when I went through that program, that was to help me. Like that was to help me create my my own sales page for my my hopefully upcoming up and coming Instagram field guide course. Date still TBD, <laughs> but also to just to go through my website and really like assess what needs to be on there and what can what we can maybe do without. And and having you go through that my homepage. It's 100% led to to better SEO, which for those who don't know what that means, that's search engine optimization. And so I'm actually ranking on Google now because my website is clearer, it's better. And then once people land on my page, they are able to navigate it so much more clearly. I'm getting more inquiries. It's it's so powerful. It's a really, really powerful framework. And I also use this when I'm creating social media content. So it helps me write captions. It's really, it helps me just remember, you know, who the real hero is of the story. Um, and yeah, just really, and I think for me, it's, it's really, and we're, you know what, let's just get into it. Cause I could talk about this for days. <laughs> okay. So, so like I said, I talk about Donald Miller an embarrassing amount on this podcast and on my, my Instagram. But yeah, I only ever give brief snippets of what what it's really about. So could you give a brief overview of the story brand framework, what it is and 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 all that good stuff? Yeah, absolutely. And I love what you said too just a minute ago about understanding kind of who the real hero is, because that's the biggest paradigm shift about this framework is just naturally as people and therefore as brands we have the tendency of placing ourselves as the hero in the story because that's how we wake up every morning is to view ourselves kind of as the hero of our own story. And so 
this is, you know, largely based on um, the hero's journey, if, if anybody is familiar with that. But this Joseph Campbell, I should attribute where that is coming from. Um, <laughs> Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. But the story ran framework kind of distills that whole process down into a really manageable seven part framework. And it takes you through the elements of story. One of the things that we talk about when we go through the whole workshop is the fact that our brains are so overloaded with information, right? We're, we're depending on who you ask, anywhere from like, what, three to 7,000 marketing messages a day. And we just do not have the capacity to absorb all of that. So we have to have some sort of filter in place of what we kind of latch on to or pay attention to. And we say that the two main things, the two main filters that our brain is using is first off, does this information help me survive and thrive, right? As the hero of my own story, I am out every day, whereas a brand, I'm not trying to decide, is this marketing message coming my way going to help me as an individual or as a business survive and thrive? The second filter to that is, do I have to burn a lot of calories to figure out what this is all about? And so if you're making me work too hard to figure out, even if you have the best product or service or, or wine on the market, if it's too hard for me to understand why it makes my life better, I'm going to tune you out and I'm going to move on. And so for that reason, we always say that like it's not necessarily the best companies or brands or even leaders that win in the market or that get elected or that become the people we follow. It's the people that we can most clearly understand. And so we use this framework really as a way for, for helping people, for helping brands um, learn to communicate in that way that cuts through the clutter and becomes one of those messages that, that sticks because it's, it's captivating, it's clear, it's compelling, you understand what it is, how you're making my life as your potential consumer or client thrive, right? And that's what, what we really want to communicate. Yeah, yeah, all of that. And I wonder if StoryBrand has also been a little bit of a curse in my life because now when I see confusing messaging or cl really cluttered websites, I actually get like angry, like <laughs> yeah, <I do> <laughs> frustrated. Yeah. I'm like, how dare you waste my time? You know, and it's, you know, they don't know. It's, <laughs> and so, yeah, so I see, you know, I'll see social media messaging that's confusing or conflicting or makes me work too hard and it frustrates me. And, and I, my first thought is always, how dare you? Like, how dare you create this piece of messaging that's confusing me today? Or you know, when I go to a website that doesn't make sense where I can't find the, the buy now button, where I can't, when I don't know how to purchase the wine that I'm looking for or the product or the service I'm looking for, it's really, really frustrating to me. And so, yeah, so I, I will, I will just add a disclaimer here that once we go through this process, that will be the curse is that you're going to see some, some really, you're going to look at some, some websites, you're going to look at some social media messaging and you'll, you'll probably be frustrated by quite a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. There's a, a, the bank that I grew up with, I live, um, in Chicago, I grew up in the Midwest, and there's a local bank here in the Midwest that was our home bank when I was growing up, right? So you have an affinity of like, that's where I had my first checking account, whatever. <laughs> and they have billboards everywhere across Chicago, and they are the absolute worst. It makes me, so to your very point, like 
every time my husband also laughs, he's like, oh, look, there it is again. Like, it gets me so worked up. I'm like, yes. you guys are better than this. And you guys are so terrible. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's so, it's so, it's way more frustrating when you know the product or the service is really, really good. Because you're just yeah. like, oh, you guys, <laughs> like, you can do so much better. <laughs> yes. And, and we want to tell you how to do better, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. We want to tell you how to do better. <laughs> so, as I mentioned before on this podcast, we focus on helping small wine brands market their wine. So these are generally brands that don't have a huge marketing budget or in some cases, even a team to help them with their marketing. It's like the same people who are making the wine are also selling it. So how can we use this framework to help them market their wine? And I would love to go point by point through the the story brand seven, seven part framework. Okay. <laughs> Let's let me do a quick overview of what those seven parts are. How about that? And then we'll yeah. come back and talk to what how the application could look like. Yes, please. loosely <laughs> in each step of the way. Okay, so the seven parts of this very easy framework. Um, the first is that we need to know who our character is, right? And our character is, in this case, the hero of our story. It is our consumer, our potential client, our potential buyer. This same framework can also even be used if you're looking for partnerships or distributors or vendors, right? You might tailor a message just for those audiences. But we have, we're introduced. We know who we're talking to and who the hero of the story is. So the first element is what is it that that hero actually wants? And once we identify a want, we open a story loop because the question in our minds becomes, will our hero get the thing that they want, right? Will they have the evening that they've dreamed of because they have that amazing bottle of wine that makes everybody envious? Or, you know, will they, you know, what is it that they want in the first place? The next piece of our equation is that there's a problem that they're facing, right? All good stories have an epic problem that they're dealing with. And that really sets the hook for our story and keeps us captivated because we want to know not only will they get what they want, but are they going to be able to overcome the problem that helps them achieve the thing that they dream of having? And in Story Brand, which we won't get into too much, but I think it's worth noting, a really great storyteller addresses problems on three levels. There's an external problem, something that exists out in the world, there's an internal problem, which is the emotional side, how we feel about that problem. Are we frustrated by it? Are we annoyed? Are we overwhelmed, et cetera? And then finally, there's a philosophical problem, some great injustice that we believe needs to be righted, why we think that this problem is just plain wrong and should be solved. So we have a character who wants something. We understand the problems that they're facing. Now we step into their story, not as the hero in the story, but as the guide, someone who can be trusted to help them overcome the problems, to help them get the things that they want. And a good guide does two things. They express empathy. We understand how you feel about this problem. And we have authority to help you. We're qualified to help you get the thing that you want. We've been at this for a long time. We have a lot of satisfied customers. We're trustworthy for these reasons. This kind of is back to the idea of the biggest paradigm shift. Most of the time when we represent our brands and we put our budgeting, you know, our marketing budget into all these great advertisements, it is by presenting ourselves as we're the best, we're, you know, we're wonderful, you need to have us in your life. 
rather than recognizing our role is actually one of being a guide. We have empathy and authority. And so when we present ourselves, it's not to say that we can't talk about ourselves, but we want to do so in a way that doesn't position us as the hero, but rather saying, we see you as the hero of the story and we can help you. Next up in our plan, so we have what our character wants, the problem they're facing. We step into their story in the role of guide. Then we give them a plan. That's step four of our process here. And a plan is usually a easy to follow three-part plan that lets them know how they can move forward, how they can get the thing that they want. Then we call them into action. And to your point earlier, we want to make it really easy for them to know how they buy something, how they sign up, how they, what they're supposed to do at this point in the journey. Back to that idea of burning calories, the worst thing that we can do is lay out this compelling story and then make them burn all the calories trying to figure out, like, I want this thing. I like these people. What am I supposed to do now? So we want to make it really, really easy for our customers to to take that first step. And then finally, the last two elements of our framework are the stakes. What's to be won or lost at the end of this story? So what does failure look like and what does success look like? Without failure, it's, it's really easy for us to say, oh, we don't want to be manipulative or heavy-handed. We don't want to be one of those, um, we, we don't want to be Sarah McLaughlin's dogs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not what I, that's not what I want for anybody to do. But there have to be stakes in a story. So there has to be some point of failure that we're helping them to avoid. And there has to be a better life that's possible when they use our product. So that's kind of the last two pieces of our framework, our failure and success. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. Whenever I go through this, so I go through this process when I'm creating content for my clients. And I would say that the part that I always get stuck on is the the character has a problem because it feels so like first world problems to be like, Oh, the problem that you know our our customers have at a winery is that they don't have wine. Like, is you know, <laughs> so I feel like there has to be you know, it just seems so like simple. Like, too, it seems too simple of a problem. Is like I can never figure out what the philosophical and emotional problem is. It's like, yeah, okay, I want wine is the the want, and I like don't have wine, or I don't know where to find <laughs> wine is the like physical problem, but like, how, what would you say if, I mean, yeah, how, what, what would you say would be like an emotional or a philosophical problem for, you know, for a winery? <laughs> yeah, great questions. So I would even back up a step and say, you know, what a character wants, if you think about your unique position and, and it could be similar to a lot of wineries, but maybe it's something like they want wine from a local family vineyard, or they want wine from their own county, or they want wine um, that has a story to it, or they want wine, you know, there might be some nuance in there and what they're really looking for in their wine. If that's true, then the problem might be, but they're always, you know, astronomically priced. Maybe you offer a more budget-friendly wine, excuse me, that's in that category. Or maybe the problem is we love wines from our region, but they tend to use, I I don't know this industry well enough, so (laughs) forgive me, but, you know, maybe they tend to use a particular chemical that we don't handle well. Um, 
you know, and maybe your vineyard doesn't. And so that's kind of the problem of, hey, we know you want a local wine, but the problem is that you can't find one that, you know, it is free of this particular chemical or doesn't use this particular process. So if we go with a problem like that, then it, the internal problem might be, which can be really frustrating because you want to support your local vineyards, but, you know, you're, you're struggling to drink some of the local wines for this reason. Philosophically, you deserve to drink the wine from your backyard without having the after effects of a headache or something like that. Right. That right. Your philosophical statement. So it, it's always good to start with what is it that they want? Do they want, you know, what is it that your brand, another way to ask this is what is it that your brand has to offer your heroes? Is it that you are in a particular price point or use a particular grape that's hard to find in the U.S. or have these incredible stories behind, you know, the wines that you produce or maybe you donate to a particular cause and your your hero loves the fact that this is a wine that tastes great and does good in the world or any number of these things. And then you think about, well, why don't they have those things right now? Is it because, you know, these things are hard to find? Is it because there's a particular process that's involved that's really hard to duplicate, et cetera? So that, then you go and say, well, how does that external problem make them feel? Are they, are they discouraged by this? Are they frustrated by this? Are they angry by this? What's the emotion? <laughs> and then the question for the philosophical problem is, why do we as a vineyard believe this problem is just plain wrong? What should be true instead? Or what does our hero deserve? Mm -hmm. Oh, that, Does that help? Yeah, it really, really does. And I have to say too, that it, it really helps having someone who's not directly involved in the wine industry and who's outside of the wine industry to, to explain this. Because I think sometimes I can be so close to it. You know, I've been in the wine industry for over 10 years now. And and my clients, of course, they're so much more involved in it. They've been in the wine industry much longer than me. And so they can be a little too close to it that it's hard to see things so clearly because we're, you know, we're seeing we're seeing the trees, but not the forest, right? And so it's really, or we can't see the forest for the trees, you know. And so it's really really, really refreshing to have someone who's outside of the wine industry kind of talk about this. Yeah. Cause that, that actually super clarified that for me. It really helps. Okay. So then, you know, so then we've clarified our problem and you know, there we're going to step in and we're going to give them what they need. We're going to answer, we're going to, and then we're going to call them to action. So we have, you know, what they want is sustainably, sustainably produced wine from Santa Barbara County made by a woman. I don't know. And maybe they donate donate part of the proceeds to a cause that's worthy. So this is the part, and this is the thing that I think my, my wonderful audience will be so tired of me saying, because I say it in every single ep episode, you have to have a call to action and you have to make it easy to find them. So, so that's the next step. Could you talk a little bit about transitional calls to action as well as direct calls to action? Because I think that's where a lot of my clients and a lot of my listeners get tripped up is they're like, do I need to have like a hard sale in every single like post I make or whatever? And my answer is always, you know, no, like you don't need to sell in every single, but you need to have a call to action of some sort in every single piece of marketing that you do. Could you talk about like the difference between transitional and direct calls to action? Yeah, absolutely. Also, like I'm with you 100%. 
There should always be calls to action everywhere. Mm -hmm. I should never be anywhere on any of your marketing collateral or your websites or your landing pages or social media where I don't know what I'm supposed to do next, Mm -hmm. right? That's just the worst feeling of I'm so ready to buy this and now I have to go on a treasure hunt to figure Mm -hmm. out how to do it. But if someone's not ready, so we often talk about, and there's a lot of different terms for this. At StoryBrand, we use the ideas of direct call to action and transitional. Direct is kind of your marry me experience, right? We're ready to make this official. We're ready to pull out the credit card or book the call or, you know, move forward. But if someone's not quite ready, they're not quite ready to pay for um, wine or go find your local distributor or whatever, then we want to offer them a different call to action. And we call that transitional. And a transitional call to action is any piece of value that you can offer in exchange for contact information. So that could look like a quiz or an assessment, right? Like find your, like find the best grape of 2019 or something like that. I'm not sure, but it could be um, a quiz and assessment. It could be a webinar. It could be a um, downloadable PDF that's an ebook or a checklist or a guide to touring the you know vineyards in your area or um, any sort of value that's created that someone says I want that enough to give you an email address. I don't know where this number came from, and I I need to dig in so I have a source for this. But I heard at one point that an email address is valued at about fifteen dollars. So I think that's a really great way to think about: Are we giving someone kind of the equivalent of $15 of value in exchange for what is valuable to us, right? It's real estate in our inbox. And so we're, when we're exchanging our email address for something, we want value in return. But when we talk about value, there's a couple of things here too. Make sure that you continue to stay in the role of guide by helping, by using that value to create forward momentum for your hero, that they're further down their journey than they were at the beginning of this. So think about as you're creating value for them, what is a question that they have? Maybe they don't want to look um, like a fool when they go to a wine tasting. So give them three tips, you know, three easy tips of like how to look like an expert at your next wine tasting or how to choose the best bottle on the shelf or something like this that helps them already feel more confident in their own journey. Yeah, that's so great. And yeah, I think a lot of the big thing with with a lot of wineries that I know of is that with their transitional calls to action in particular, it's always sign up for our newsletter. And I, I laugh every single time I hear a story brand guide or Donald Miller say like, nobody wants to sign up for your newsletter. <laughs> Cause it's no. so true. Nobody <laughs> wants to sign up for your newsletter, but it's like, how are you going to, how are you going to collect those email addresses? Well, okay, let's, let's think of something better, you know? <laughs> So this is really, yes. yeah, like let's create a, a quick guide, like a PDF that's, that talks about, yeah, I don't know, like what are the the values of this, you know, I, there's a, there's a winery up in um, Paso Robles, just, just north of me, who they focus on entirely Rhone variety, or for the most part, Rhone varietals. And these, some really unique varieties like Vacarez, which is, nobody's ever heard of it. And I think they have like the very first Vacarez grown and vented in the United States as a single varietal. And so they could easily create a guide about Vacarez or something, or like a, you know, I don't know, like, they, yeah, there's so many things that you could do. Like you could create a guide that is 
what to do when you come visit us next time. You know, here are some places to eat. Here's, and it's like such a simple thing. And you know, these things, cause these are all the, I mean, I'm just speaking directly to these wineries. and like, you know, these things, because these are the questions that you're answering in your tasting room all the time. Like just put it in a PDF, make it pretty. And like, offer it as a free thing. Like you don't need to offer a discount if that's not where you're at in your business. Like you could easily just, you know, offer a free guide. (laughs) Yeah, a hundred percent. And discounts aren't bad, but to your very point, they don't have to be your, your offering for a transitional call to action. And I, I love what, (laughs) I love that you brought this up about not wanting a newsletter because it is our go-to. And I, you know, to that very point, I just think, gosh, no one wakes up in the morning and thinks, you know what my life is missing? Another newsletter. Like, <laughs> I should go find one today to sign up for. Yeah. But to that same point, the whole idea is that once you have their contact information, you do want to send something that stays in touch with them, right? And so you do want to make sure that now that you've got this, you know, I'll say treasure trove of email addresses, people who said, hey, I want to sign up for what you're offering. Now is your chance to nurture them into a relationship, into that point of sale. And and sometimes it might take someone a long time, but if you keep showing up in their inbox, even if they delete it, but they haven't unsubscribed, someday when they're thinking, oh, I'm finally going to be out in that area, or I'm, you know, looking for a wine that's really going to impress my new boss and his wife or something like that, I know exactly there's somebody out in California that has a grape that these guys have never even tried. And I'm going to show up looking like, you know, the coolest person because I can bring this, you know, crazy wine varietal to them. So I think, you know, just getting a chance to stay in front of people when the time is right, then you'll have nurtured them to the point of sale, which is the whole reason to have a transitional call to action in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. So good. Okay. So we've gone through our character has a problem, meets a guide and gives them a plan, which we we kind of brushed over that one. I'm sorry. I got really excited about the call to action. So, (laughs) (laughs) so for giving them a plan, could you give us like a brief, like what that could look like in the context of like a small wine brand? Maybe, maybe this is on their social media and maybe they're talking about, I don't know, their latest rosé release. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a good plan can be one of two things, but simply put, it's, it's a guiding them towards kind of understanding how they're going to get the thing that they want. So if we go back and look at what they put in that first bucket of, you know, what does our character want? The question becomes, how do they get to that? And so it could be something like um, sign up for our release date. You know, our, our new rosé is going to drop, I, you know, I, I don't know dates, but this next week. So make sure you're on the list for that announcement. You know, choose the number. Step two is choose the number of cases you would like shipped to you. And, you know, step three is uh, crack it open and celebrate, you know, a summer of getting back together with your friends with a glass of rosé. So it could just kind of look like a really simple process of, hey, you want to make sure you're you're notified right when we release. You're going to order the number of bottles or cases that you want to have on hand this summer. And then you get to celebrate friend, with friends with a glass of crisp rosé in your hand. Yes. Oh, I love that. So simple. So elegant. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so then, then we get to the kind of final point here. So a character has a problem and meets a guide who gives them a plan and calls them to action, which results in either success or it helps or and it helps them avoid failure. So I know that these things are kind of talked about kind of in together, 
what would you say, again, using this example of the rosé, what would that, what would this last section kind of look like for that? Yeah. So, all right. If we go into the rosé, failure might be something like missing the launch yet again, right? If this is a limited release and you may have like last three years, I've never managed to get this when it comes out. Step one is eliminating that frustration, right? Like don't miss another release date of you know, and be left, be left out. We can play on FOMO a little bit here. Yeah. Don't, you know, be left out of missing this release. Or don't be stuck buying the generic, um, whatever, barefoot wines at, at your local Walmart <laughs> all summer long. Uh, you know, something like this could be a failure point. It doesn't have to be dramatic or, you know, the world will end as much as just, hey, let's play on the fact that if you wanted this thing, Failure just op- is the opposite of that. You didn't get it. And so what does your life look like if you didn't get it? But even more importantly, let's talk about what their life does look like, right? So the success side of things is, you know, that sense of, of joy and delight that you finally managed to get the case, you know, when it launched and you're, you get to celebrate summer with your favorite rosé in hand. Or, you know, maybe it's a matter of, of having your friends around and just being so impressed by the wine that you're serving this summer. All of those things, you know, play into that sense of, of pride, of joy, of delight, of enjoyment, um, of what you get when you have the thing that you want. And and this is where if you're a visual thinker or if you have a wonderful marketing person, like <laughs> you know, that helps you really cast that vision that someone can see themselves in it, you know, surrounded by their favorite friends with this glass in hand or having the time of their life or, you know, maybe getting to, to just take a quiet stroll or sitting quietly. Maybe it's not always about being together with people, but help them paint that vision of what their life is going to look like when they get the thing that they want. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, I love that. All right. So, so we've kind of talked, we've gone through the entire story brand seven. And so what I like to do is I like to end these interviews by asking my guests, what is one actionable tip our audience can take to implement what they learned today? So what would you say is that, that actionable tip that you have for our audience? Great question. Well, usually I would say put calls to action everywhere, but I think you've already covered that point. (laughs) I'll go down the next piece of my list, which is um, maybe just do a quick survey of your current marketing and look for places where you can start to make this about your audience and what they want and the problems they have rather than about how awesome you are. I believe if that you know, most of the brands that are listening, probably all of the brands that are listening and, and wineries are awesome. But rather than using that as the, the central part of their marketing, just kind of look at what your website is like, what your social media looks like, your emails and start to look at, okay, we're talking about ourselves here. What if we just change this one post to be a little bit more about our audience? Or what if the next email we send out is audience focused rather than about us? Those small changes add up over time in a really powerful way. Yeah, absolutely. Take a walk through your social media content, your website, your email marketing, and and look at where you can change that message of talking about yourself as number one. We know that you are. We know that you are awesome. But talk about instead why, you're, why your customers are so awesome. And yeah, just changing a few things on my own website where I was talking about myself to focusing on on the client really 
made a gigantic difference. And and I felt like I was doing a good job of it already. But so so if that's anything to say is like you can always do better. There's always there's always room for improvement <laughs> and and you can always change it from talking about yourself to talking about your audience. So that is really super 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 advice. I love that. Christy, thank you so much. <laughs> I am so happy I got to talk with you today. So much fun. How can people get connected with you and work with you should they want to hire you as a guide? Yeah, you can find me at my website at onpurposeproject.com. This summer, I am going to be running kind of a small program. So StoryBrand has become part of a larger collection of courses known as the Business Made Simple collection. So we cover everything from the story brand framework that we've just walked you through to how to create really clear mission statements, how to communicate more simply, how to grow businesses, handle sales, all sorts of things. This has kind of gone into this collection of courses. And so I, I've got a little bit of promo going on this summer for folks. If they sign up for the course that I'll do some discounted, a couple of hours of coaching on the backside of that. So if you come to my website, I'll have information up about that as well. Um, otherwise, you can just reach out and I'm always happy to chat with people about about their messaging because it just makes such a difference. And, you know, I, I think the greatest thing about this is that it doesn't take a lot of money and it can, it can revolutionize your marketing without throwing more and more dollars at, you know, Google AdWord campaigns or boosting posts that aren't doing well. If you start communicating more clearly, you'll start to see traction without having to throw more money at things, I think, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you just let everyone breathe a sigh of relief. Like, oh, this isn't an expensive process. Great. That's because <laughs> yeah. that's, I think, the last thing that people want is like, they think that, you know, once going through these things is going to be a lot of money, but really it's, it's, it's free to change your messaging. You just have to know how to do it. So that's wonderful. And it's going to make a world of difference. So again, Christy, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you. I'm so glad we got to talk and laugh and just go through this process together. You are the best. Thank you so much. It was so fun to be here. (laughs) All right. That's it for this episode of the Craft and Cluster podcast. You can head to the show notes for any resources mentioned in this episode and to learn more about our awesome guest. If you found this show super valuable, please rate and review it. And don't forget to connect with me on Instagram at craft and cluster. And to make sure you never miss an episode, be sure to follow the show on Apple podcast, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Hey there, you just listened to the Craft and Cluster podcast, a production of Craft and Cluster owned exclusively by me, Heather Danitz. The opinions and statements in this show are those of me and any guests that appeared on the Craft and Cluster podcast and are for entertainment purposes only. I cannot guarantee any particular result or return on investment based on any statement from this show. But what I can guarantee is my extreme psychitude that you are still listening to this even though the episode has ended and this is clearly a disclaimer. You are super dedicated. I like that about you.